welcome to what can only be described as yet another episode of the Hey Look Listen podcast. My name is Kevin O'Carroll and today I am joined by absolutely no one. Uh, Yep, the other three can't make it this week, unfortunately. They are due up in court. Now, it's not my place to say what they're accused of, but suffice it to say that aquarium will never recover from this. So the more eagle-eared listeners among you might have noticed that we haven't done a Game of the Year episode for the year of 2023. Uh, Now, we have done for previous ones, be that in groups or maybe individually, or there's always something. And we haven't done one yet this year. And that's because, in a roundabout way, we kind of have. Back on episode 70, we covered the uh, Jeff Keighley Awards for Excellence, or the Game Awards as they're more commonly known. And in particular, we looked at the Game of the Year nominees there. And I think if we were all being honest, the games nominated for that award would probably line up with our games of the year as well. So in a way, we did kind of cover the game, our games of the year on that episode. Additionally, we did an episode, uh, episode 72, where we kind of took a look back at the year of 2023, looked at the big news stories and the big releases. So between those two episodes, we did cover a lot of the games that released last year, or a lot of the ones that were of interest to us, at least. So what I kind of wanted to do today, while recording one on my uh, solo, is... I wanted to have a look at some games that we maybe didn't shine as much of a light on. Uh, Games that we want to mention in passing, games that maybe we didn't mention at all, but that released in the calendar year of 2023 and are definitely worth a look. Now, games that released in the calendar year of 2023 and are definitely worth a look is not the punchiest title for an episode, so I'm probably going to have to call it something clickbaity like Top 5 Hidden Gems, You Won't Believe Number 3. Um... But basically, it's just a list of games that do something interesting that might have um, might have fallen off the radar. You might not have noticed them come out this year. Games that I think could do with a little bit more light shined on them. So without further ado, we'll start going with the list with... Number five. You know what grinds my piss and boils my gears? Um, video game genre bloat. We just have too many genres. And a lot of them are basically meaningless. Like, look at the Game Awards categories. Drawn arbitrary differences between action and action slash adventure. Have an indie category won by a game made by a billion dollar corporation. And the genre names, they often give basically no useful information to anyone who doesn't already know what they mean. Like, imagine a civilian trying to figure out what an isometric Souls-like roguelike Metrovania is. Like, they don't have a clue. Um, sometimes I, I just feel like we, you know, intentionally or otherwise just use genres as like a gatekeeping tool or some source of cork sniffing pretension. Anyway, World of Horror is a retro inspired one bit survival horror roguelike visual novel turn based RPG and genre suicide. It's a fantastic little game. You play as an unnamed protagonist um, investigating mysteries in a fictional version of a small town in Fukushima, Japan in the 1980s. And in each playthrough, you'll take on five mysteries or scenarios, um, solving all of which will get you access to the town's uh, lighthouse, where sort of the endgame scenario plays out. 
Um, these mysteries play out a little bit like a stripped-down version of the investigation phase in an Ace Attorney game. Admittedly, a very stripped-down version, where basically you'll explore the town by jumping between locations and looking for clues. Um, each time you change location, you'll have to contend with an event of some kind. Sometimes it'll be a conversation with an NPC who might give you an item or maybe it'll be someone you can recruit. And sometimes it'll be a turn-based battle against some of the horrors stalking the town. Um, these mysteries are sort of authored puzzles with a like a set beginning, middle and end, or usually with multiple endings. Um, but which uh, five mysteries you draw are randomised at the start of each playthrough, as are the events that you'll face along the way. So a successful playthrough of World of Horror would likely take roughly 45 minutes. Um, but you'll have only seen a fraction of it at that. The, the fun is in kind of replaying it to see all the mysteries and the multiple different endings to each one along the way. It's kind of a, a best of both worlds thing for me where the writing in the actual stories you're engaging with is great. It's kind of schlocky horror. And then you have the, the roguelite sort of randomized events that keep you on your toes both within and across playthroughs. Um, in terms of the horror, the game aims for a sort of a midpoint between uh, noted racist and cosmic horror specialist H.P. Lovecraft and Japanese body horror specialist Junji Ito. Uh, the writing in the mysteries plays out like kind of like Monster of the Week episodes of the X-Files or Buffy, while the art and presentation really lean into the sort of like David Cronenberg-esque body horror. Um, if you like fucked up little weirdos in your game, Oh boy, does World of Horror have a roster of creepy little dudes for you to enjoy. Um, it's worth mentioning that the game does really lean into its one-bit theming. It looks and plays like something from the 80s, from like the Apple II days or whatever. The UI is truly atrocious. The game's built-in tutorial is actively unhelpful. Um, the whole thing makes almost no effort to onboard new players but if you can get past that, there really are some weird, fucked up stories for you to experience here. Um, oh, and the, the combat is fine. It's fine. It's pretty standard turn-based combat stuff. It um, it does have a system where you can cast spells in exchange for weakening your own sanity, which does have a very sort of thematic Lovecrafty vibe to it. Um, all in all, it is an inhospitable, unwelcoming, weird game where the sort of roguelite randomization elements could just screw over your playthrough at any moment. And despite that, I really loved it. Um, World of Horror is available on every platform bar the Xbox, though worth mentioning that I cannot imagine wrestling with the UI on this thing on a console or a controller. Number four. Between Alan Wake 2 and Resident Evil 4 remake and the System Shock remake and the Dead Space remake, 2023 was a great year for horror games but Amnesia the Bunker might be the scariest one among them. The first Amnesia released in, I think, 2010-ish, and it basically launched a new genre. The first-person survival horror game with a powerless protagonist who gets bullied by a big old monster, and then at the end it turns out that the monster is a personification of the protagonist's guilt over something or another. You know, uh, Silent Hill 2, but in first person without the guns. Um, and listen, I know Amnesia fans, I can hear you cracking your knuckles and revving up to give me hassle over that. So I do want to, you know, let you know that I know that there's way more to the franchise's lore than that. Uh, it's 
like aliens and magic and all sorts of weird shit. But I just want to reassure you that I absolutely do not care and do not at me. Uh, but anyway, the whole shtick of these games and the many sort of imitators that follow along after it is that combat is not an option. You can run, you can hide or try, you can outsmart or avoid the enemy, but you can't fight. You can never fight back. So when I saw that the latest and I think fourth mainline amnesia game had finally given its protagonist a gun, I was curious and honestly a little apprehensive that it might lessen the impact of the game's horror. Oh boy, was I wrong. Amnesia the Bunker is set during World War One, and you play as a French soldier who wakes up in the titular bunker's infirmary, afflicted with the titular amnesia. Uh, the game structure is fairly clear cut. You are trapped in the bunker and you need to find some explosives and a detonator to blow open the collapsed exit. And you'll find and use a series of keys and passcodes found on dog tags on soldiers' corpses to unlock areas, explore the bunker, and find these MacGuffins that you need. There is one safe room um, that has a generator that powers the lights and a map on the wall, which also doubles as the only save point in the game. Um, it does a thing that I love in survival horror games where most of your resources are kind of dual purpose. They work both for combat and for exploration. It's like, yeah, your gun can stun the big nasty that's stalking the bunker's halls, but it can also shoot open most of the locked doors in the game. And the gasoline that you find around the place. Um, yeah, absolutely. You can use it to make Molotov cocktails, which you can use to clear the infected rats nests that often block your path but that same gas is the only fuel source to power the generator and you do not want to be out exploring when that juice runs out where the game excels is in giving you the illusion of power or the illusion that, that you can fight back like yeah you have a gun but it'll only ever stun the beast it won't kill it and yeah you can shoot open the locked doors instead of futzing about to try and find the key but the guns are loud and the creature hunts by sound and you'll only ever find like six bullets in the whole playthrough anyway so you gotta make the shots count uh you have a, a like a hand lamp that'll let you navigate in the dark so you know who cares if you let the generator run out of power except that the lamp has to be cranked by hand which takes time and is incredibly loud which again will give away your position to the beastie the uh, secret sauce that makes it all work is that single save point. You really need to manage your resources every time you set out from the safe room. And, uh, and time left on the generator is the most important resource of all. There was one stage when I was uh, a couple hours in and I found a room with a big old tank of gas in it. But I had no bottles or cans or anything to carry it with. Uh, I knew there was a wine cellar nearby that had empty bottles in it. But I also knew that I didn't have enough time left on the generator to get to the cellar, back to the gas tank, and then back to the safe room before the lights went out. And I also hadn't saved in maybe an hour, but I decided to try. Um, and as predicted, after I collected the gas in my bottle, the lights went out. And I crept back through the bunker in like near total darkness, afraid to wind up my lamp in case the noise brought the creature down on me. And after a couple of minutes of carefully walking with this absolute knot in my chest, just jumping at every sound, I made it 
I made it back. And it's a testament to this game's ability to create tension that this is my absolute favourite moment I experienced in a horror game this year. Just walking in the dark, not seeing the enemy. 10 out of 10. No notes. It does lose its way a little bit towards the end like the plot is truly bonkers um but the like borderline distressing level of tension that the game ratchets up throughout its runtime will absolutely make me forgive any sort of third act goofiness um amnesia the bunker is on every platform bar the switch and is currently available on game pass number three don't nod are a studio best known for narrative adventure games particularly life is strange a game that dares to ask the question, what would happen if 30-year-old French men tried to write American teenage girls? But every now and then they try their hand at something a bit more gameplay and it's usually worth a look. In 2018, they released Vampire, or is it Vampire? Vampire, whatever. Uh, an action RPG about a doctor-turned-vampire caught between his newfound bloodlust and his Hippocratic oath to do no harm. It's set in London during the Spanish flu pandemic and in the immediate aftermath of the First World War. It's interesting that it's a game that you can kind of run through as mostly a pacifist. Um, there are some some non-optional boss fights, but outside of that you can go full murder hobo or play it as peaceful as you want. And the game will kind of respond to the choices you make. It's interesting. Um in fact, it's a game that probably is more interesting than it is actually good, but it is a big, weird swing outside of the studio's comfort zone, and that's that's worth something. In 2023, Don't took another big, weird swing with Jusant. Uh, Jusant's elevator pitch is basically Death Stranding, but with climbing. And honestly, that alone sold me on it. In Jusant, You'll play as an unnamed protagonist as they attempt to climb a giant mountainous pillar in the middle of a desert. As you climb, you'll find the remnants of the society that used to live there and get some clues as to where they've bowered off to and why this mountain in a desert seems to have fishing villages on it. Um, I won't dwell too long here on themes or the setting, but uh, speaking as someone who has recently emigrated, having lost their home to a weather event, it definitely resonated with me. But theming aside, where Jusant really shines is in its gameplay. What you do is you climb. You climb by attaching your rope to anchor points and using alternating trigger buttons to grip the various handholds. As long as one or both of the triggers are held, you'll hold on to whatever ledge or rock you've grabbed. You can make short jumps, you can swing from the rope, you can set pitons to make new anchor points. Um, you have a stamina bar that you're managing, but it's fairly easy going in that you can at any point just by staying still you can restore your stamina so it's not designed to be challenging but it's more designed to have a sort of physicality to it that's really satisfying um and when the game's going well you do kind of quickly find yourself getting into a real flow state with it uh the level design is great each one introduces a new mechanic or a hurdle for you to overcome there's one where um like scorching sunlight will drain your stamina faster there's one with sort of alternating winds that'll blow you off course there are these um like hermit crab type creatures that scurry along the walls and act as moving grapple points um 
the game is at its absolute best when it puts you at the bottom of a cliff or a wall or whatever that has multiple different possible routes up and just says have at it climb it's not perfect um the story loses its way in the third act when the magic space whales show up and that's not a bit there are magic space whales in it um but even when the plot has lost the plot the climbing always stays engaging Jusant is available on PC, on Steam, it's on PS5 and Xbox, and is currently on Game Pass. Number two. Lies of P could easily be condensed down to what if Bloodborne put Pinocchio. I know I did when it was first announced. And yeah, there's some truth to that. Mechanically, the game draws very heavily on the FromSoft back catalogue. Like... Yeah, it is a third-person action game with a heavy emphasis on death and respawning and checkpoints and running to where you last died to collect your currency. And yeah, it has the same RPG elements where you assign stat boosts on an Excel spreadsheet. It has a rally mechanic like the one in Bloodborne that allows you to regain lost health through more aggressive play. It has a parry like in Sekiro, although arguably the parry windows here are even narrower than they were in Sakura. Some of its other gameplay systems are lifted from its influences too, like the weapon durability and repair on the fly is straight out of the Monster Hunter franchise, and there's the obligatory skill tree that's in basically every game from the last 15 years. And narratively, on the surface at least, it is grimdark Pinocchio. So yeah, Lives of P is a game that wears its influences on its sleeve proudly and confidently for all to see. But to dismiss this as some kind of knockoff would be a huge mistake. It might not be doing a lot that is particularly new or revolutionary, but what it is doing, it's doing really fucking well. The combat is the centerpiece here, and it absolutely excels. Um, there's a mix of light and heavy attacks, uh, chargeable special weapon arts, gadgets like a grappling hook or um, black powder or firearms. You have dodge rolls and blocks and parries. There's a huge combat sandbox for you to, to play around in. There's this um, stagger mechanic that I love. When you do enough damage to an enemy in a short time, they begin to flash red and they're vulnerable to a stagger. I mean, staggers are common in these games. But what's interesting about this one is in order to stagger them, you have to land a fully charged heavy attack, an R2 attack or whatever. The animation for those attacks take absolutely fucking ages. So you really need to know both your own combat kit and the enemy's attack patterns in order to identify, you know, what's the safest window to actually pull off this heavy attack and land the stagger. Um, The added wrinkle here as well is sort of the the weapon customization system. Um, every normal weapon in the game can be broken down into its blade and its handle and then those constituent parts can be recombined in any combination so the blade determines kind of the damage type and the handle determines the moveset so if you want to put a warhammer head on a dagger handle off with you you want to play a great sword like it's a rapier start poking people with it crack on fill your boots it's just uh, an incredibly satisfying and varied game to play on a moment-to-moment basis on the narrative side of things the plot is yeah it's a little convoluted but it it just about hangs together um but the world is is where it really shines there's a a surprising variety of like biomes and areas to explore 
um, and the art and presentation throughout the thing are, are top notch. Um, special notice has to be given to the music as well. The game's OST is one of my favourites from this year. Um, I believe the studio, they'd never done an action game before this one. They had only done some music games and they actually reused some of the music from their previous games in this, but like done in a sort of... Uh, Victorian style or something. It's it's weird. You need to hear it to believe it, but it, I, I promise you it is good. Um, overall, the game is a pretty textbook example of something that is better than the sum of its parts, but it has to be said that all its parts are kind of great anyway. Um, one note of warning, I suppose, is that the game is quite tough. The difficulty curve is all over the place. It's not just hard... It's hard in a way that isn't linear. It spikes um, a couple of times through the runtime, particularly looking at the King of Puppets here. Anyone who's played the game will probably have PTSD from that one. Um, on the From Software Scoville scale of spicy gaming, I'd say it is, at its hardest moments, it is tougher than base game Bloodborne, but probably more manageable than Bloodborne's DLC or Sekiro. So, Still muy picante, but um, definitely doable. It's maybe not the best starting point for someone completely new to Souls games, but I will say for anyone who is, you know, jonesing for something to play while waiting for the upcoming Elden Ring DLC, this will absolutely fill that void. Uh, Lies of P is available on all platforms bar the Switch and is currently available on Game Pass. Honorable Mentions a couple of honourable mentions before we move on and wrap this up. Um, first up is Golden Idol Mysteries. Uh, my non-Elden Ring game of the year for 2022 was Case of the Golden Idol by Colour Grey Games. It's a puzzle mystery game with an absolutely wild art style that draws big inspiration from one of my favourite games of all time, uh, Lucas Pope's Return of the Obra Dinn. Um, in 2023, Color Grey Games released two DLC for Golden Idol under the heading Golden Idol Mysteries. Um, they both serve as narrative prequels to the main game, but in terms of like puzzle design and complexity, they're definitely post-game content. Uh, the logic deduction elements that I love from the original game are still absolutely very much present, um, but the DLCs add their own kind of twists on the established format in ways that are frankly brain-bending. Um, I won't rant too much more on this one, it's pretty straightforward. Like, if you were a fan of the original game, this is more Golden Idol. That's a good thing. If you weren't that interested in Golden Idol before, or if you tried it and bounced off it, this doesn't do anything substantially different that would win you over. Um, if you're interested in hearing more from Halo hey Listen on Golden Idol, then check out episode 48. And for more on uh, Return of the Obra Dinn and Lucas Pope in general, check out episode 31. And also, um, I suppose stay tuned for our coverage of the Golden Idol sequel, which is due this year. Uh, from the trailer, it looks bigger and prettier, and it's got that good Netflix money behind it. So hopefully that works out well. Golden Idol Mysteries are available on PC and Mac via Steam and are paid DLC for The Curse of the Golden Idol. The other honourable mention that I wanted to bring up is Planet of Lana. So Playdead, the studio behind um, the acclaimed indie 2D platformers Limbo and Inside, uh, never got to make their third game. 
there was a falling out between the studio heads that led to two other studios being spun off. Um, Jumpship, who made the perfectly serviceable, if not quite great, uh, Somerville, and Geometric Interactive, who made 2023's Cocoon, uh, which was uh, sort of an isometric puzzle game, unlike the previous Playdate offerings. Um, worth noting that Cocoon is a game that I absolutely love this year, um, but it just didn't quite make this list, mostly because I feel like we covered it a ton during the year. Um, basically, the reason that I'm preying all of this amble is Planet of Lana feels like the third Playdead game that we never got. Planet of Lana is a 2D puzzle platformer where you play as a young girl named Lana as she adventures to rescue her sister who's been abducted by the alien force that's invaded her planet. It has all the hallmarks of a Playdead game. The plot is delivered without any kind of dialogue of any sort. It has um, tricky puzzles with a real focus on stealth. Um, and it has a really stunning art style. Um, this time leaning in more of a sort of Studio Ghibli vibe as opposed to the usual monochrome palette of Playdead's previous offerings. Um, it also boasts a score from Takeshi Furukawa, the guy behind the soundtrack to The Last Guardian. Um, a game that Halo Glisten definitely recommends, and who, interestingly, is also doing the uh, soundtrack for the upcoming live-action Avatar The Last Airbender. And God, I hope that doesn't suck. Planet of Lana is an incredibly pretty game, with a simple but effective plot and some really enjoyable stealth puzzle platforming sections. It's on PC via Steam and Xbox consoles currently, and Switch and PlayStation ports are due in early 2024. And it is also currently on Game Pass. Number one. You are on a path in the woods. At the end of that path is a cabin. In the basement of the cabin is a princess. You're here to slay her. If you don't, it will be the end of the world. That is both the opening text of Slay the Princess and kind of its entire elevator pitch. It's a black and white visual novel by Black Tabby Games, who incidentally are also working on the excellent episodic horror game Scarlet Hollow, that I would fully expect to be in my game of the year list in 12 months time if they manage to get the last few episodes out on schedule. Your first playthrough of Slay the Princess is potentially likely to be quite short. The narrator explains that there is a princess what needs killing up ahead. You go through the forest, into the cabin, down to the basement. You pick up a knife along the way, use that to off the aforementioned royal, and that's it. Achievement pops, credits roll, everybody claps. But what if you don't? The narrator just said the world will end. He never really explained how or why. Maybe you should ask him. And the princess, does she not get a say in this? Maybe you should talk to her, see what her deal is. I don't want to say much more about the game. Because the experience of finding it out is the game. But I'll just say that each and every decision or conversational choice changes something down the line. Often in surprising and truly horrific ways. There's always a wooded path and a cabin. There's always a princess, a hero and a narrator. And outside of those constants, it gets weird. The game has a beautiful art style that I can only describe as medieval fantasy meets David Cronenberg body horror, mixed with fractals. It's fully and excellently voice acted. The writing is engaging and just fucking weird throughout. Um, it is one of those rare games 
that the more you know about it going in, the worse off you are. So all I'll say is I fully recommend it. Slay the Princess is available on PC and Mac only via Steam, GOG and itch.io. So that's it. My five hidden gem games of the year with a few uh, honourable mentions thrown in for good measure. A bit of a different episode this week and a shorter one too, but uh, rest assured the guys will be back with a regular chat next time around. So make sure you've subscribed on YouTube or your podcast app of choice to make sure you don't miss it. Now, obviously, I didn't play everything that released last year, sometimes due to just a lack of time, but often due to not having a way to do so. I do all of my non-console gaming on a near decade old MacBook, so anything that is like PC only is currently out of reach for me. And there were a few really interesting looking games that released last year that fall into that category. Uh, Mosalina is like an immersive sim puzzle platformer that looks completely unfair and therefore quite fun. Um, Pseudo Regalia is a 3D platformer in the sort of the, the old N64 style that looks like it's absolutely nailed down its movement mechanics. And uh, Bone Razor Minions, probably the most interesting of the bunch, looks kind of like Vampire Survivors with Pokemon. So I'm absolutely sold. Um, but now I'd love to hear from you guys. Get onto us on Twitter or Instagram at HLLPod. Or uh, just get in the comments below and let us know, what did I miss? What was your game of 2023 that no one else is talking about? Particularly if you played one of those PC exclusives I named a moment ago. Would love to hear how you get on with them. And with that, there's nothing left to do, but thank you for coming on this journey with me. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I'll see you next time. Bye!